At the most basic level, DNA determines who we are, what we look like. The texture of hair, the color of eyes, the tone of skin. DNA reveals relationships and tells the story of ancestry. Your mother's nose, grandfather's eyes, your uncle's smile. In the same way your DNA forms who you are at a cellular level, the church has DNA that directs it. Building blocks that make up our identity. Instructions for what is important to us. Our vision, our mission, our values. The DNA of the church is evident in everything we do. Traces of it are left behind in every place we've been, in the smallest, seemingly inconsequential ways. It is replicated as each of us binds together as a family, a family serving Hampton Roads to change the world. And although we have a beautiful diversity in appearance within our family, the core of who we are, our mission, is the same, to win and lead all those within our reach, to be fully devoted followers of Jesus. We've begun this series called DNA uh, as we discover what makes First Norfolk who we are. And we began by looking at the biggest picture, the, the vision, God's vision for our church that, that really is making disciples who rescue others. It's the big picture vision that has some quantifiable things to it, but ultimately it is us mobilized uh, as God's missionaries um, on, on a, a rescue mission all in awe of God and living in, in, in reverence and for His pleasure, uh, we give ourselves to rescue those around the seven cities of Hampton Roads. <coughs> Last week, Philip Herring, Pastor Philip, uh, shared with us, and, and uh, Edie and I were out of town, and I'm thankful for a church that allows uh, us to be gone once in a while. Uh, and uh, Edie and I were out of, out of town last week, and, and Pastor Philip, uh, he shared uh, uh, about that wonderful principle of, of, of God's um, purposeful sending us to serve Hampton Roads in order to change the world, uh, and how that God has, has uh, called us to this task of service uh, that brings transformation. And today, we're going to be looking more specifically at God's mission and uh, we find that from John chapter 17. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 17. While you're turning there, um, uh, thinking about purpose, uh, made me think about construction uh, uh, blocks like this. This is a cinder block. And a cinder block is, has one significant purpose, and that purpose is to build load-bearing walls or to uh, uh, create uh, uh, buildings and structures like what we're in today. There, this structure is made primarily of cinder blocks. And if you go through any of the hallways here at First Norfolk, you will find these, uh, these cinder block walls. And that is why these, uh, these construction masonry units, cinder blocks, uh, were built. They exist to build a building. Um, but if you're from my neck of the woods, if you've been born in, in my neck of the woods, you know that cinder blocks, although their, their mission is to build a wall or a facility, uh, their use is uh, far outstretched their mission. Uh, you have cinder blocks that are used in a wide variety 
of, of, uh, uh, of uses. Uh, one use that, that you find for a cinder block, you may go to uh, certain parts of uh, East Tennessee, and if you were to walk up the, uh, the yard um, uh, with permission, walk up the yard with permission, uh, you might find a row of cinder blocks, um, and in those cinder blocks, inside the, the holes of these cinder blocks, you'll have dirt. And in that dirt, they're growing plants. We'll call them tomato plants. Maybe something else, but they call them tomato plants. And you'll find them growing tomato plants. So a cinder block that has as its primary purpose, its mission, uh, of building a wall or building a grand facility like this, uh, it is now repurposed as a planter for tomato plants. That's one thing. Or uh, if you were to go with me, I could take you through some certain streets and, and, and backcountry roads, and we could drive alongside. If you looked real close, or maybe not close at all, you could find um, uh, cinder blocks used not just for planters for tomato plants, but now you see cinder blocks being used to prop up worn-out cars that have lost their wheels. You see it in the front yard, in the backyard, on the side. You can see it by the barn, by the shed, or maybe the new chicken coop. I don't know, but the, the car is rusty and worn out, uh, but they didn't want to get rid of it. They wanted to save it. I don't know. And so they took cinder blocks, and they put the cinder blocks under the axles of the car, and and they rested that car on those cinder blocks. And so, <laughs> and so we, we have that. Now, the purpose, the mission of a cinder block is to build a building, to have a load-bearing wall, but it's been repurposed to be a prop for a one-out car. Or you have a cinder block, and, and if you're, uh, you grew up and, and, and you didn't always have uh, the resources that you perhaps wanted if, in, in my home, both my, my growing up home and my immediate family, uh, when Edie and I were uh, just starting out, we didn't have a lot. We never did what I'm about to talk about, but we didn't have a lot. Uh, but if you grew up and you didn't have a lot and you needed, say, a dining room table, you could take three or four of these on one end and three or four on the other end, stack them on top of each other, get a piece of a three-quarter inch ply board, put it on top of those uh, cinder blocks, and then you take a sheet, uh, whether it's a, a, an old bed sheet or something like that, you put it on top of the three-quarter inch ply board, there you have a dining room table. If you didn't need a dining room table, maybe you just needed a coffee table. Same principle, you take a, one, stand it like that, or maybe, maybe uh, flip it on its side, have two of them, and, and then again, three-quarter inch ply board, cut out to size, Put it on top of that, drape a little piece of cloth over there, man, you got a coffee table. Now, that's not the purpose of a cinder block. Construction masonry units were built, were made, their mission is to build a building, to, to create a grand facility, to hold up a building itself. That's why it's there. But it's been repurposed to make shift some furniture. Now, there's nothing in, inherently wrong with uh, being repurposed as a planter for tomato plants or being a prop for an old worn-out car or being a makeshift 
piece of furniture. There's nothing inherently wrong with that, except that's not its primary mission. My concern for the church, not just First Norfolk, but, but for the church, um, my concern and what keeps me up at night, if anything keeps me up at night, it's the idea that we as the church, because we neglect the mission that God gives us, or because we ignore the mission that God gives us, because maybe we don't really know the mission that God gives us, uh, we turn a cinder block, God's mission, we turn a cinder block into a planter for tomato plants, a prop for an old worn-out car, or makeshift furniture. We turn the church into something that's not necessarily bad, it's just not its purpose. We're not doing bad things. We're just not doing the one thing that God wants us to do. Now, we're going to talk about that today, and and we find this in the words of Jesus. And as Jesus is leaving the upper room, he's about to be killed on a cross. And and as he's leaving the upper room, he he had just washed his disciples' feet. He he leaves the upper room, and he's going uh, outside the the gates of Jerusalem, outside the walls of Jerusalem, down through the Kidron Valley, over into the the Mount of Olives, uh, specifically to the Garden of Gethsemane. And as he's making his way there, he begins to pray. And, And this prayer reflects the urgency of his heart. This prayer reflects the passion of his life. This prayer enlightens us as to what was a big deal to Jesus. What was the one thing that he was focused on? So in John chapter 17, let's overhear the mission of Jesus in the prayer that he prays. John 17, beginning verse 1, Jesus says, Father, The hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son might also glorify you, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given to him. And this is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I've finished the work you've given me to do. I've glorified you on the earth. As we look at the beginning lines of his prayer we begin to understand a little bit more about his mission. But but we also understand our mission. See, the mission of the church, God's mission of First Norfolk, is the same as God's mission for the church down the road. It's the same as God's mission for the church in Mozambique. It's the same as the mission for the church in South America, North America, Antarctica, or the Arctic Circle. If we are the church, if if we are a gathering of God's people who are followers of Jesus Christ, brought together uh, by the Holy Spirit of God, then we, the church, regardless the name on our placard outside, regardless of the uh, location in which we gather, the church where Jesus is the head has the same mission. We may word it differently, but it's the same mission. And it comes from Scripture. It doesn't come from a neat little um, marketing group or strategic group who gets alone in a room and plans for six months and then puts together all these different words and says, that's the mission of the church. No, no. The mission of the church comes from God himself. And we hear that mission from 
Jesus himself. And the reason we can tie the mission of Jesus to the mission of the church is because Jesus is the head of the church. If it is the mission of Jesus, then it's the mission of the church. There's no way that the body can move in a way that's different than the head unless you disconnect one from the other. The head is what takes the body where it's supposed to go. It's the direction. It's the passion. It's the mission. The head's the one who directs and bosses the body. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, we see that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And by him all things were created. And he is before all things. And all things were made by him and for him and through him. And in him all things hold together. And then verse, thir- verse 18, the apostle Paul says that Jesus is the head of the church. He's head of the body, the church. Jesus is the one who is the boss of us. There is no singular group in the church that is the boss of the church, formal or informal. There is no singular person, pastor or otherwise, that is the boss of the church. There is but one boss in this church. His name is Jesus Christ. And because he is the boss, that means that you and I got to get in line with where he wants us to go. And that means that his mission must become our mission. Here's what's wrong with us. Individually, corporately, what's wrong with us is that we begin to think that our mission is something that we have repurposed. It's different than what we were originally intentionally made for. We repurpose this church to be something that serves us, something that serves our needs, our wants, our desires, our ambitions. That's what leads to great discontent, not only in the church, but in our lives. When we begin to repurpose the church for something that God never intended. Now, make no mistake, we as a church, we've clearly described and defined what our mission is, following in the footsteps of Jesus. Again, hear the mission words that Jesus gives in his prayer. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son. He's talking about his death on the cross. Glorify your son that your son might also glorify you as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given to him. And this is eternal life that they might know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I've Finish the work you've given me to do. I've glorified you on the earth. Now, what do we hear in those words? Well, it's, it's the mission statement that we have as a church. Our mission statement is over 15 years because it's older than it, it was here when I got here. But it correctly and, 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 and specifically addresses what our mission is, what God's mission is for this church and the church down the street and the church across the nation and a church around the world. It, it reflects the mission of Jesus, and then in, in likewise fashion, it represents the mission of the church. First Norfolk exists to glorify God by winning and leading all the people within our reach to become fully devoted followers of Christ. That's our mission. I love it, but what scares me is that I'm not sure all of us are following it. 
You know what makes up the church? The church is not an organization built around hierarchical structures of leadership. It's not an organization that's built around an idea of, of raising money and holding on to money and keeping money and spending the money we want to spend. It's not, it's not a building. It's not a, a conglomeration of different uh, uh, building. It's not a social construction. In other words, it's not here uh, because you want it to be here. No, the church, the church is individual followers of Jesus that God by His Spirit has drawn together and united together so that together we might live the mission that God has given us. You're here not because you want to be here. Maybe you do, maybe you don't, but you're here because the Spirit of God has united your life with this church. What scares me is when individual members, including myself, decide that God's mission is not my mission. See, the only way we can fulfill God's mission is when we do it together. And if you decide that you're not going to fulfill the mission, then First Norfolk is not going to fulfill the mission. Do, do you realize uh, this is 1 Corinthians 12? 1 Corinthians 12 says that we're a body made up of individual members, and every individual member has a part to play. All of us all of us comprise and make up the body called First Norfolk. And there is no such thing as passive membership. You can't be sitting on the sideline as a spectator and, 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 and our church, First Norfolk, be found faithful. We all must unite together, work together, cooperate together to accomplish God's purpose. And what keeps me up at night is the fact that I know that not all of us have bought into it. M many of us have repurposed our mission into something other than what God has said. And that affects the entire body. The truth is, I can't fix that. You realize that, you know. I can't control anyone else. I can't control you. I can't control, I barely control myself. That was a joke. That was a joke. I can't, I can't control anyone. I can't make you do anything. And you wouldn't like it if I could. Right? So what brings First Norfolk together and moves us along in a common direction according to the uh, mission that God has given us? What will do that? Well, only one thing, and that is the Spirit of God. We need the Holy Spirit of God to get so hold of us, so hold of us individually, that it, we are united together corporately around the cross of Jesus Christ, and all of us move together passionately and purposefully to fulfill God's mission. That's bigger than anything Eric Thomas can do. First Norfolk being faithful to the mission is not a function of good leadership. It's a function of the Spirit of God's leadership. We need some more of that. I need it in my life because I know how hard it can be to live the mission that God's given us. I need it in my life. And, and, and I, need to, I need to surrender uh, more for me because, I, I, man, I get, I get consumed with Eric Thomas. And the more I get consumed with Eric Thomas, the less I'm consumed with God's mission. So as we look at God's mission, as we break it down in three parts... I hope and pray that God would use this moment to wake us up, wake you up. There is no way that you're going to be content as a follower of Jesus. There is no way that you're going to be satisfied in this church until you give yourself wholly to God's mission. 
I use second person plural on purpose. I don't want anybody to mistake thinking that I'm just using a general we. It's you and it's me. There is no way Eric Thomas will be satisfied, content, until I give myself wholeheartedly to God's mission for First Norfolk. Now, First Norfolk's mission is clearly spelled out. First Norfolk exists to glorify God by winning and leading all the people within our reach to be fully devoted followers of Christ. Why, where do we get the glory for uh, glorify God? Where do we get that? Well, it's like Jesus, we exist for God's glory. It, Jesus lived for God's glory, and if Jesus lived for God's glory, hey, guess what? We better. And we're going to touch on this next week when we talk about a core value for our church is God's glory. But I, did want to, I just want to show that preeminently important for us as followers of Jesus, preeminently important for us as the church is God's glory. And listen, here's why so many in the church are dissatisfied. It's because we are living for our own glory rather than God's glory. We, we, and, and this is what hit me as I was driving home one, one afternoon. I was thinking about, my, uh, about this message, and, and, and as I was walking through that and thinking through that, uh, God just asked me. I mean, it was just kind of in one of those, uh, the Spirit of God speaking through the Word of God to me uh, moments. And, and, and as I was listening, uh, God said, well, do your children hear you speak up more for yourself your rights, your wants, and your wishes than they do, than they hear you speak up for my glory and the gospel. Really? I mean, wow. What a painful question that God pointed, put to me. And the application is just as challenging. I pray that my girls, that my church, that my community, my wife, would hear me speak up more for God's glory and the gospel than they ever hear me speak up for my wants, my wishes, my rights. And I think every member of First Norfolk has to do the same. See, we're not captured by God until we are really captured by God. We're just playing a game. We're going through motions and acting all religious and saying the right words and phrases. But until we're really captured, I mean, until he gets all of you. Until he gets hold of you. Until he begins to dominate you. Until, until he says, stop being a planter for a tomato plant. And start living according to your purpose. Bring me glory, God says. Do you realize that, that we were rescued by God's grace, not merely so that we can be saved from hell? Do you get this? Now, it's certainly a great benefit. I'm so thankful I'm not going to hell when I die. And when I talk about heaven, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about that as a great, great benefit that God's grace has given me. But friends, God didn't just rescue us. He didn't just send Jesus to die on a cross for us so that we could be rescued. That's, that's a big picture, but that's not the only picture. 
Do you realize that he rescued us so that we could serve him? So that we could serve his glory. So that we could be a display case for his glory. To, 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 to glorify God as Jesus did means that we point people to the holiness of God, the majesty of God, the justice of God, the righteousness of God. And we point people to the love of God, the mercy of God, the kindness of God, the compassion of God, and the grace of God. We point them to, to God in all of his glory. It means that we've got to be, we, we, we've got to be consumed with, with living every day out so that people would see God's grace, his kindness, his mercy, his justice, his love. So that they would see that in our lives. More importantly, he'd see it in our church. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 12 says that, that, that God chose us and, and, and he rescued us and he, he, he gave us Jesus who shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sin and we were brought into God's family so that we might be to the praise of his glory. So that we, you and I, this church, so that we would live each day shining a light on the goodness and the greatness and the glory of God. So that we would speak up more about God than we do about myself or my rights. Now, guys, that's not just a song that we sing every now and then. That's a life that we live every minute of every day. Are we pointing people to the grandeur and the majesty and the holiness and the righteousness and the truth of God and the grace and the love and the compassion and the mercy of God? Are we showing others who God is? Man, that's, that's got to consume us. This past weekend, again, Edie and I got away uh, for a few days, and, and it was kind of an early birthday present. Her birthday was yesterday, um, and, and, and so we, last weekend we got to get away, and, and we were in Abingdon, Virginia. We were doing a pastor and pastor's wives retreat kind of thing. And, and um, so one of the things that we like to do, uh, we love to do it, we love to do it is we like to go antique shopping. We, I love it. I enjoy it. I, I enjoy it. Um, uh, but we, we go antique shopping or we go, go through flea markets or, you know, those type places. And Abingdon, Main Street on Abingdon in, in the historical, his, hysterical district, historical district, um, there, there's, uh, they have antique shops up and down the Main Street. It's great. It's awesome. So we're, we're walking down Main Street, and we're just, you know, and, and the way you can tell what the store promises is by what's in the display window. You, you look at the display window, and that tells you something about what's behind the door. Um, if you're selling antiques, you don't put iPads out there. You know what I'm saying? I mean, here's what, here's what happens. You, 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 the, somebody on Main Street says, well, we can't get enough traffic into our antique shop, so here's what we're going to do. Instead of promoting antiques, which is the reason we're here, but instead of promoting antiques, we're going to promote iPads. And in the display window, they put up all these neat little iPads. And, and so you look and you walk past and you see all these iPads. You say, man, I think I'm going to go in here and see if the iPads are on sale. 
but you walk in the door and there are no iPads. And they giggle and they say, oh, well, we don't sell iPads. We don't service iPads. We don't even have any iPads. We sell antiques. And I leave. I think part of the problem that people from the outside have looking at us on the inside is that we're putting on the display case something that is less than what we're selling. What we're offering is not a person. We're not offering a program. We're not offering a pew. We're not offering a structure. No, those are, those are not things. That's, that's a planter for a tomato plant. Those aren't things that we're offering. What we're offering is God in all of his glory. Why in the world would we settle for selling an iPad when we have the God of glory, the king of life, who we have fellowship with, and we're saying to people, hey, listen, come get an iPad. We're supposed to be a display case. And, and, and you've heard it, and I've heard it. People say, oh, you know, come to my church. We have great music. Or come to my church. We have great seats in which to sit. Or come to my church. We have a great program for children or preschool or students or, or adults. Or come to my church because, because we have a, 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 a pastor who is very fashion-sensitive. And we, we, we talk about all those things. And I understand, I do, I get why, we, why we're promoting those things. And I get why we're talking about those things. But friends, stop it, please. Stop trying to sell tomato plants. Go ahead and just tell them. Come gather with us and meet the God of creation. Come gather with us and meet a group of people whose lives have been changed by the King of glory. Come gather with us and experience heaven on earth. Come gather with us. And we're going to point you to God. See, we exist not for our programs. We don't exist for our finances. We don't exist for our personnel. We don't exist for our building, our structures. We don't exist for any of those things. We exist to bring glory to God. Everything else is nice. There's nothing wrong with a potted plant. There's nothing wrong with a prop for a, for, for a broken down car, and there's nothing wrong with makeup, makeshift furniture. Nothing wrong with those things, except for the fact that that's not why we're here. We exist like Jesus did, for God's glory. The second thing we see is, is how do we bring God glory? Well, C.S. Lewis said it this way. I wanted to quote C.S. Lewis because it makes me feel like I'm intellectual. C.S. Lewis described it this way. He said, the glory of God as our only mean, and as our only means of glorifying him the salvation of human souls is the real business of life. So let, we've got to break that down. He said, the glory of God, and as our only way to glorify him, the salvation of human souls is the real business of life. It, it, the way we glorify God is by sharing eternal life 
with others. Salvation of human souls. That's, this, is, this is what we need to be about. If we're going to glorify God, and there, there are ways to glorify God through obedience, through submission, through surrender, all those things are true. But one thing we know Jesus did to bring glory to God was to give eternal life to as many as the Father had given to him. And this is eternal life, that people might know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom, he is, whom God has sent. We know that this, this right here, is going to bring God glory. So stop Planting tomato plants, propping up broken down vehicles, or making makeshift furniture and acting like that is the penultimate of, of, of our mission. Our mission is to glorify God. And how do we glorify God? By sharing eternal life with others. When was the last time you walked across the street, walked across the yard, walked across the classroom, walked across the room, walked across um, uh, lines that, that you have established in your relationships. When's the last time you walked and shared a eternal life with someone who's dying in their darkness? People need Jesus. And we're supposed to share him. There's only one way for someone to be rescued. And that is through faith in Jesus Christ. Don't keep it to ourselves. The reason we have 10,000 conversations as our goal in 2018. 10,000 life-changing conversations. Because we know this is going to glorify God. And boy, if we're glorifying God, He is going to take care of our church. He's going to take care of us. Stop. Stop acting like it doesn't matter. My prayer is that you and I would be so burdened and, and, and so consumed with a yearning and a desire to glorify God that we will walk across the street and have the conversation this week. We glorify God when we share eternal life with others. And we glorify God when we live like Jesus and we equip believers to live the mission. This, this is what Jesus gets to as he continues to pray. He, in beginning in verse 6, he begins to pray for his disciples and he's concerned about their growth and their maturity. What happens to us is sometimes we equate maturity with information. And I know I've talked about this many times over the last month or two months. I th I, it's one of those things I think we've got to hit. You and I, we, we have been trained to think that if we can pass the test where they give us a fill-in-the-blank or we have to write an essay and we give all the right answers, then we must be a mature follower of Jesus. And that is absolute hogwash. There is absolutely no truth to that myth. It is absolutely not true that if you can quote all the Bibles of the all the books of the all the Bibles of the book or the book of the Bible, if you can quote all the books of the Bible, if you can if you can memorize a verse a day uh, in 2018, if you can if you can uh, uh, give all the different timelines of Israel and Judah and and, and the eschatological end times uh, rapture and and dispensational amillennial um, uh, premillennial postmillennial, you can do it all that stuff. You can quote great. Uh, church fathers of the first, second, or third century A.D. You can you, you can uh, tell tell what what's the difference between a, a Molinist or, a, or or an Arminian. You you can do all those things. So what? Being being equipped as a follower of Jesus is where the Word of God, applied by the Spirit of God into my heart begins to shape the way I live. Not what I know, but how I live. 
when Jesus begins to talk, you, you look at verse 6. He says, I've, I've manifested, Jesus is saying to God. He said, I've revealed your name to the men whom you have given me. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. That's, that, that's the message of, of, of the gospel. Now, down in verse 14, he says, I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. Verse 15, I don't pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of this world, just as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, verse 18, as you have sent me into the world, I've also sent them in the world. So as you kind of break this down, here's what we find Jesus saying. Jesus saying, all right, I've shown them the word. I've shown them how to live. I've given them specific instructions, not just the big picture of how to experience eternal life, but also the daily instructions of how to be obedient to the Father. Now, it's going to get tough for them. They're going to be walking in difficult, distracting, and dangerous places. And, 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 and Jesus prays. He says, but Father, I'm not asking you to remove them from those difficult, dangerous, uh, distracting places. I'm asking you for, for you to protect them in the midst of it so that they might display the Father's glory and the pathway to eternal life to people who are lost. And Jesus was literally saying, I am equipping these folks to live the mission. As the Father sent me, Jesus said, I'm sending you. Listen. To be equipped... As a follower of Jesus, to be a grown-up follower of Jesus, that's not measured by the information you have in your head. It's not measured by the diplomas or the plaques you have on your wall. What shows that we are mature and maturing followers of Jesus is how God's Word, applied by the Spirit of God, shapes the way we live. And the way it needs to shape how how we live is that we live the mission that God has given us. We're no longer content to be planters for tomato plants or props for old beat-up cars or makeshift furniture. We're no longer content to live outside of God's primary purpose of bringing Him glory and giving eternal life to others. We are equipped when we make it our aim to share the good news of God's rescuing love with others. And that's my prayer for you, for me, for us. My prayer for us is not that we would get smarter or that we would get more. My prayer is that you and I would be so consumed with God and His glory that we can't help ourselves but share eternal life with people that we meet and help others around us in life groups especially or here in corporate gathering help one another be equipped and encouraged and inspired and strengthened and emboldened to share eternal life with others. Jesus is the one who sets the pattern for us to follow. Jesus is the one who describes the mission we are to fulfill. And what I pray for each and every one of us is that today we would be awakened by that call from God himself 
to embrace his mission. To be captured by an urgency and a passion. The urgency and the passion of Jesus Christ. So that we will not be able to go a day without thinking, am I speaking up for God's glory and the gospel? Or am I just speaking up for my wants, my wishes, and my rights? Let's grow up as followers of Jesus. Let's be the church that he's made us to be. Would you bow your heads, please? In the next few moments, we're going to be responding to God's call. You're, you're going to respond however God leads you, and my prayer is that you would be obedient to what he leads you to do. My request, and the way I feel led to, to, to move in this time of response, is to lead you to pray. To pray earnestly. Pray earnestly for our church that we would not be sidetracked as a planter for tomato plants or a prop for a beat-up car or a makeshift furniture table, but that we would be so consumed with God and His glory that we would glorify Him by sharing eternal life with others, that we would live this mission. Pray for our church that we would not become distracted from this primary mission that he's given us, this singular mission that we must fulfill. Pray for our church, but also pray for me. Pray for your staff. Pray for those around you, your, your life group leader and, and, and your deacons. Pray, pray, for, pray for those around you, your friends and those you go to a small group with. Pray, pray that God would burden them with a passion, an urgency, To fulfill God's mission. Glorify God. By sharing eternal life with others. And I'm going to ask you to pray for yourself. That you would be so captured by God. And his great love for you. Come on guys. His great love for you. That you can do nothing less than give him everything. Pray for the Spirit of God to just capture your heart. So, Lord God, in these moments as we have gathered in your name, I pray that by your Spirit you would lead us and draw us to uh, obedience, that, that we would feel the urgency of your mission, capturing our hearts, that we would not settle to be repurposed in something lesser than what you have designed, but that we would give ourselves wholeheartedly for your glory and the eternal life of others. Now in these moments as we worship you, I pray that we would respond and, and draw to this altar your people, that we might pray Pray for our church, that we might pray, pray for each other, and that we might pray, pray for ourselves, that your spirit would so 
compel us, and that we become so consumed again with the gospel that has rescued us that we would live for your glory in all ways. Draw us to your altar to pray and to lift up our voices in worship to you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.